Hey everybody, welcome to the Random Movie Club. I'm your host, Rob Logan. In each episode, I sit down with a co-host to discuss any movie of their choosing. The only qualification is that the movie is available to watch at home on DVD, Blu-ray, or streaming. Before you listen to this show, I highly recommend that you watch the movie we're going to talk about, because we're going to spoil everything. Also, at the end of the episode, I'll tell you which movie we're going to discuss next so you have enough time to watch it. It's Star Wars Month on Random Movie Club, so we'll be revisiting the original trilogy to celebrate the upcoming release of The Force Awakens. On this episode, I'll be discussing Star Wars A New Hope with my big brother, Mark Valois. Let's roll the film. Star Wars A New Hope was released in 1977 from director George Lucas. Also written by George Lucas, the film stars Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, and Carrie Fisher. Normally I would ask my co-host why they chose this particular movie, but being as it's Star Wars month and we're going through all of the original trilogy in December to kind of celebrate the upcoming release of Force Awakens, I know you are a big Star Wars fan because I've known you my entire life. <laughs> and uh, instead of asking you why you chose this movie, instead, why is Star Wars like a big part of your movie film fandom? I think Star Wars is a story that's, I mean, obviously it's very popular. It's very accessible. It, it kind of has elements that are have been used before, but it uses them in a new way. So the, for instance, the concept of the Jedi Knight, George Lucas at the time was actually very much into anthropology. So he actually pulled a lot of elements from history and kind of gave them like a sci-fi makeover. Mm. So it was a lot of elements that people were already into. A lot of people like science fiction as well. So some of those concepts, you know, people were able to connect, well, as you can see, you know, connect with very well. So it was almost like a very, very almost not, I don't want to say perfect, but very good design. Hmm. So things that are good design, I think I appreciate that kind of take a bunch of elements and, and work them together in a, an interesting way. Totally. A creative way. Yeah. As I always do, I go to IMDb and I gather a whole bunch of trivia from there. So I'll go through some of that now. George Lucas was so sure the film would flop that instead of attending the premiere, he went on holiday to Hawaii with his good friend Steven Spielberg, where they came up with the idea for Raiders of the Lost Ark. That story I had not heard. Although, I, I guess I heard part of it, not in the, the same context. I heard that Lucas and Spielberg were on a beach together mm -hmm. when they came up with the idea for um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, I didn't know it was during the Star Wars premiere. What I did hear was that Spielberg was trying to do a Bond movie mm -hmm. and was rejected. Oh. Oh, that's right. He was right. trying to do a Bond movie. Yep. That got shot down. And Lucas said to him when they were on the beach in Hawaii, he said, I have something better for you. And that he basically pitched Indiana Jones that's to right. Spielberg then. And, you know, the rest is history. Right, right. In early drafts of the script, R2-D2 could speak standard English and had a rather foul vocabulary. Although all of R2-D2's English speech was removed, many of C-3PO's reactions to it were left in. So, I mean, you can kind of tell what R2 yeah. is saying in the movie, like at least the tone of it yeah. by the bleeps and bloops. I mean, R2 is supposed to be a regular droid, but clearly he has a personality. Right, right. Clearly he's not your typical droid. And um, they even make comment of that. And I I want to see his Return of the Jedi when the droid um, tells him, you'll learn some respect. You mm -hmm. know, he's like, oh, you're a feisty one. Right, but, right. So he basically acknowledges that, that R2 is, is different. Totally. His personality is different than the average droid. Yeah. I love that they have the same kind of reactions, though, like as if he was talking like and we've 
probably, even though we can't tell exactly what he's saying, I'm sure people have kind of imagined what some of his dialogue was just by what he's bleeping and blooping. Yeah, your mind fills in the blanks. So yeah, it's much yeah. better. It's actually better in a way if he doesn't say it and you're kind of left to figure or, you know, figure out or fill in the blank on right. your own with what he's saying. It's almost like Kenny in South Park. Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly <laughs> what it is. The scene of Darth Vader's TIE fighter spinning out of control was added late in the film at the insistence of George Lucas. Other members of the film crew were opposed to including the shot, feeling that it set up a sequel, and at the time sequels were generally regarded as inferior cash-in movies, but Lucas insisted upon its inclusion nonetheless. Which, thank God he did. Yeah, I mean, if you kill Vader in the first movie, there's <laughs> right. not much left to it. But I mean, there are rumors that he had several parts in mind, mm -hmm. whether he shared that with everyone you know, clearly he had something else in mind. Yeah, like the script was so big. Yeah. That, to begin uh, with. That wasn't going to be a standalone movie. I mean, the first movie, Luke doesn't become a Jedi. Mm -hmm. He barely handles the lightsaber. He doesn't fight with the lightsaber. Right. So there's so much more left to explore. Right, right. Even though it's very much a standalone movie, it really only scratches the surface of really, what yeah, we know. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just, it's, I'm sure at the time it felt a lot like a standalone movie, mm -hmm. but which we didn't see because it came before we were born. Right. So we didn't really know it as a standalone movie, but clearly it's not. I mean, looking at everything now, it's hard to see it as a standalone movie. Yeah, yeah. According to Harrison Ford, during the making of the film, he and Mark Hamill would usually fool around and not commit to their work whenever Alec Guinness was not on set. When Guinness was on set, they behaved much more professionally. Yeah, that's no surprise at all. Yeah. <laughs> Guinness is being a pretty established actor at the time. Oh, totally. You know, demanding that kind of respect. That's probably to be expected. They got to keep the kids in line. George Lucas's decision to accept a lower salary on the film in exchange for full merchandising rights was considered a fool's gamble on his part. Toys based on movies had never been major money earners because of the long gap between when a movie would go through its theatrical run and when any products based on it would be available. Star Wars, however, was such a phenomena that it reached the holiday 1977 sales period in full swing and changed the way movies were merchandised forever. Mm -hmm. Clearly, once again, he's thinking ahead of a step ahead of everyone else. Totally. This is the only Star Wars movie to be nominated for the Best Picture Academy Award and the first ever science fiction film to be nominated for Best Picture. See, I'm surprised. I didn't know that. I'm surprised that it was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah? Um, yeah, I actually didn't know that. I didn't think... Usually science fiction films are not regarded. Science fiction horror, those are left out of the right, conversation. Right. I've actually read that a lot of people don't even regard Star Wars as a science fiction movie. They regard it as um, mythological fantasy. Okay. That it's not science fiction. There are certainly enough elements in there, lightsabers, you know, yada, yada, sure, that, sure. that make it science fiction as well. Right. But it does, it is also mythological fantasy. But a lot of people, probably our generation, everyone after, of course, doesn't realize is that at the time Star Wars came out, the um, science fiction movie that was most highly regarded was actually 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. That was the movie that at the time had set the bar higher. And then Star Wars was like this new thing mm -hmm. that science fiction movies hadn't done yet. So in that regard, I can understand why it might be considered by the Academy. Mm -hmm. But um I mean, I'm it was surprised. A, it was such a phenomenon, like we said, and it was a game changer. So yeah. it was almost they had to pay attention. I remember hearing some story like there was a screening of it, probably before the the actual screening where he showed other Hollywood type people, and they all came out saying it was a piece of garbage. Right, right. The only person that said anything positive about it was Spielberg that said, "Oh, that movie's going to make a hundred million dollars." Right, right. And Coppola was one of the ones who said that it was going to be junk. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, this is the only Star Wars film where Darth Vader's signature theme, the Imperial March, is not played in some form or another, as it had not yet been written. Yeah, the the Imperial March. If you look at it in um, the uh, parentheses that go next to it, is is it uh, says Darth, Darth Vader's, Vader's theme. theme, right? Dennis Lawson, who played Wedge Antilles, is the uncle of Ewan McGregor, who plays Obi Wan Kenobi in the prequels. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah I like that connection. The uh, the familial connections that you never saw coming, yep. kind of thing. Mark Hamill held his breath for so long during the trash compactor scene that he broke a blood vessel in his face. Subsequent shots are from one side only. I want to say I heard that story before, but um, I don't really remember it. The, the part of taking only shots from one side of his face, I didn't know. I guess if you watch the trash compactor scene, you should at some point only see yeah. one side of Luke. Yeah, I didn't pay attention specifically to that to exactly. see if it was true or not, but I will next time. Uh, the lightsaber sound effect is a combination of the hum of an idling 35-millimeter movie projector and the feedback generated by passing a stripped microphone cable by a television. Well, It uh, makes sense. I mean, it's a pretty cool sound effect. I mean, um, that's certainly one of the probably the better uh, uh, unique, oh, uniquely yeah. created sound effects. And it makes sense. I mean, it's energy passing energy. Exactly. So, yeah, why not do the same thing? When the stormtroopers enter the room where C-3PO and R2-D2 are hiding, one of the actors accidentally bumps his head on the doorway due to his limited visibility. When the special edition came out in 1997, a sound effect had been added to the scene to accompany the head bump. Just cleaning stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some that's the thing. There were like, I think with the special editions, there were like a million different things they changed. Yeah. Um, and then they even there went were the back major and things. Some. There were the major things. And then there were like all these other basically cleanup type things that the average person would never even notice. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff is fine. Right. Because basically you have a deadline for the movie and what's done is, you know, wherever that movie is at that point, they they send it out. I've seen firsthand, you know, the, the whole director-producer relationship mm-hmm. where the producer is trying to get the movie done on time and the director is going to hold on to it as long as he can until the producer basically rips it out of his hands. So right, right. Directors, if you give them, you know, they're not like deadline people. They, they have like a hundred thousand things they want to pack into the movie and as long as you let them work on it, they're going to work on it. And the producers basically have to say, okay, this is it. It's time to uh, take it time out. To, time to release it. Yeah. Peter Cushing found the boots that came with his costume extremely uncomfortable to wear because they were too small for his feet. Thus, he only wore them in the few shots in which Tarkin's feet could be seen. In all other shots, Peter Cushing wore a pair of fuzzy slippers. If they're not going to be in the shot, then it doesn't really matter what you wear, does it? No. And I've heard stuff like that all the time. We talked about uh, when we did Last Crusade. Sean Connery and Harrison Ford were not wearing pants in a certain scene in the movie. I think it was like on the plane because it was too hot. So like if, if you only saw him from the waist up, yeah. then then who cares what you're doing off screen? George Lucas's script evolved into a mammoth 200-page screenplay, like we said before. Having spent a full year writing it, he was reluctant to condense it, so instead he chose to concentrate on the first third with a view to expanding the remaining two-thirds into two additional films. So it wasn't written as the nine-parter that everyone thinks it was originally, but it was the original trilogy all written as one. Yep, And that makes sense because, I mean, there were rumors. There was stuff like we heard, a lot of stuff we heard in between the original trilogy, those 16 years, and the prequel trilogy Mm -hmm. that he had a nine-part thing planned out. And he picked the one that he thought would be most successful of the nine parts, and that's the one he actually developed and turned into a movie. But clearly, when you saw the prequels, it was easy to see that he didn't have the prequels planned out or else they would have matched up a, a, a lot, lot better. better. Yeah, yeah. The uh, TIE in TIE Fighter is an acronym. It stands for Twin Ion Engines. Model maker Joe Johnston came up with this acronym. 
in the making of Star Wars book, he mentions another possibility had been Third Intergalactic Empire. Yeah, I mean, you can probably come up with 15 of those. It doesn't really matter. Um, right. I mean, we all know it's yeah. TIE Fighter anyway. So Exactly. What the letters actually mean, you could have a, make a, a fan contest with it, you know? Right, right. According to Ben Burt, the sounds Chewbacca makes were created from a compilation of large mammals, mostly bears. He said one particular zoo-kept grizzly bear was an invaluable source of Chewbacca sounds. R2-D2 sounds are various people making baby-like sounds or recordings of real-life babies electronically manipulated. R2 is kind of like a child. Yeah, so. he basically acts like a, yeah. a child at times, except he usually bails everyone out of danger. <laughs> I know, right? He's the most responsible infant ever. Yeah. And Chewbacca, yeah, they must have had a lot of fun, um, you know, with the sound effects, uh, especially Ben Burt. He was the, uh, the, you know, the supervisor. Right, right. Variations of the phrase, I have a bad feeling about this, exist in each of the Star Wars films. In this movie, Luke says it as they're approaching the Death Star, and Han says it in the Trash Compactor. I didn't notice that, actually. They're in, it's in every movie? In all six, all six so far. It's become like a running joke. Now that you mention it, I think in um, Attack of the Clones, is it when um, Obi-Wan's got his hands cuffed above him? Is he the one that says it? Probably. Probably. I haven't looked them all up yet. Yeah. But, uh, the Wilhelm Scream. That famous Wilhelm scream that we hear so much. This film actually revived and repopularized the Wilhelm scream sound effect, first used in the movie Distant Drums in 1951. During the scene where Luke and Leia are about to swing over the bridge gap, a stormtrooper screams as he's shot off the platform. Yeah, I know he's shot. I didn't recognize it being the um, the scream being Oh, there. it is. <laughs> it totally is. I actually did pay attention to that one when I was watching, and I was like, oh, yeah, really? yeah. I almost, like, I pay attention to it so much now when I'm watching movies that I notice it when I probably shouldn't, but it's, it's totally there. Uh, that's all the trivia I have, so if we start talking about the movie itself and go into that, during the opening credits, I don't know if it's possible at this point anymore to hear the opening theme hit and not get, like, goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, everything goes silent. You hear that opening fanfare, and then there's just pure silence, and then boom, and it hits with yep. such, like, a, a very impactful, like, first note. It's funny because the um, the times, the movies the kids have watched that weren't Star Wars movies, but they were from 20th Century Fox, mm-hmm. so they hear the intro, and they're, they're, they've associated that with Star Wars, so then when it's a different movie after that, it's a huge letdown. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Even if they know they're not watching a Star Wars movie, like they go into it watching whatever movie it, it's going to be, mm-hmm. and but they hear the fanfare, their I've mind people, completely shifts into, oh, Star Wars, and then, oh, it's not Star Wars. I've heard a lot of people joke that uh, Disney should probably just license the fanfare exactly. just to use it, but at the same time, they want their music to become synonymous with star wars it's a hard thing to break for people that it's, it's so ingrained in. yeah but for people that this might be their first star wars movie or they're not it's not as ingrained in them uh, as the others yeah the disney will be the new kind of yep. opening fan yeah, for just like lucas trying to kill the original versions right right of the old trilogy as the camera pans down we get one of the greatest opening shots in cinema history with the blockade runner coming and then you see the underside yep. of the Star Destroyer and everything. Um, and the thing I didn't include the trivia, actually, that blockade runner that we see in the opening shot mm-hmm. was originally going to be the Millennium Falcon before they designed a different version of it. So the, are you saying the Millennium Falcon was supposed to look like the Star Destroyer? The Millennium Falcon was supposed to look like the blockade runner that's oh, okay. being chased by the Star oh, Destroyer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then they, they, they had a few different designs for the Falcon, yep. and they eventually chose a different one. So they decided to use that one for the blockade runner instead. The Millennium Falcon's cool, but... uh. It always kind of messed me up. I like symmetry, having the 
cockpit right. all the way on the side of it. Yeah, yeah. Throws it off balance a little bit. I'm the same way. And I, I think about it, though, like a hand. Like you have your thumb on the one side. Yep. And then the rest of it is that kind of circular. It can't be easy to pilot a ship like that. No. All the way on the side of it. No, not at all. Uh, when we're inside the blockade runner, we get the reveal of Darth Vader, which is very visually striking. He's in his black suit against just a completely yep. white surrounding. And it basically screams, that guy's the bad guy. Yeah. I mean, the inspiration for Vader, there's a lot of uh, samurai elements, especially mm-hmm. the helmet in there. Totally. So there's that plus, you know, his dark nature, the robotics, you know, the, the mechanical breathing. Mm-hmm. On uh, Tatooine, moving forward to that. Watching C-3PO in the desert, I couldn't help wondering if 3PO walked rigidly because he was supposed to be a robot Mm -hmm. or because the suit actually restricted his movement that much that he had no choice otherwise. So I don't know if that was an acting decision or if that was a costume side effect. Or a little bit of both. Or a little of both. Yeah. Because, I mean, if they saw him walking around Mm -hmm. and... um you know, said, I, we want you to move a little more freely. I'm sure they would have right. adjusted the costume to do so. Right. Like so. there's no, there's no need, like if they're doing fantasy anyway, they could have just had someone move like a human and be like, oh, it's a robot. Yep. But the choice was specifically made to have that kind of rigid robotic walking. Uh, I love the Jawas. There's something really cool about their lack of detail. Yep. And we've never seen, I don't think, a Jawa with their hood off. No. So no. it's really just the eyes to us. Which is still cool, and I like that kind of mystery element. I'm surprised that's something they didn't spoil in the prequels, yeah, I know. too. <laughs> Pull the hood off a of Jawa. Right, right. Uh, the only reason 3PO and R2 get to stay together is because of a bad motivator. Yes. Well, there were all those little things. Um, there's something that very small happens in the movie, and then it's cause and effect. Mm-hmm. It has a very impact, a large impact on the movie. Mm-hmm. That is the bad motivators one, where R2 gets to stay with C-3PO. The other one is that when... Luke's aunt and uncle are killed. That basically frees him right. to go out and do what he does the rest of the movie. So had his had he either been there, had he not gone out looking for the droids, the stormtroopers would have killed him. Or if his aunt and uncle weren't killed, he would have had to stay and help with the harvest. So mm-hmm. the fact that he was not there when they were attacked, now he he's not held to Tatooine anymore. He can go out and do what he does the whole rest of the movie. That and you can almost him. make the argument that the force is guiding everything yeah. to play out a certain way. Yep. So there's still some sort of free will, maybe, but there's be there's help behind the scenes, more or less. Yep. Uh, during the Leia recording playback, it's funny how she's turning it off, but it looks like she's reaching at nothing because you're only seeing her side because R2 is recording the whole thing, yep. which is so common now with people using webcams and their or their phones and they're reaching to stop them at the end. You yeah. see those type of videos now, which is so commonplace. But at that time, it was a lot different to see something like that. Yeah. Once again, thinking of ahead of things you know yeah like way ahead of the curve like (laughs) 30 40 years ahead of the curve uh we get one of the most classic shots of the franchise with luke staring at the two moons along with the swung music on tatooine Mm -hmm. uh moving forward to obi-wan's house at his house we hear our first mentions kind of all within a span of like three minutes we get our first mentions of jedi knights the clone wars and the force and we get to see our first lightsaber all within that scene absolutely i would like an explanation why he goes by ben yeah. Rather than Obi-Wan. I don't think that was ever explained. And you'd think they may have explained it in the um, prequels, prequels but yeah. they actually didn't bother. And why, if you're going to change the first name that you use, why do that and not change the last name if you're really trying to stay hidden, you know? Yeah. Like, Kenobi's the thing to really change. Yeah. So what's the, what's the point in changing to Ben Kenobi? Exactly. Uh, on the Death Star, while Vader seemed like the big bad earlier, he follows Grand Moff Tarkin's orders to release the officer from his force choke. So while we're all thinking 
Vader is kind of the head of this yep. empire, we see that he starts taking orders from somebody, mm-hmm. which is maybe, I don't know, the first clue that he's actually subservient to somebody else. Yeah. Because there's no real mention of the Emperor, I don't think, in the entire movie. No, you almost get the feeling that Tarkin pulls rank on him. Mm-hmm. Or at least, even if he doesn't pull rank, he at least takes what Tarkin says into account in right, his decision right. to release him. So maybe he is a higher rank, but he doesn't have to. He just decides not to kill him. Yeah. And Vader's probably clearly playing the part. He yeah. doesn't really have to listen to anybody. Uh, back on Tatooine, they come across the destroyed Jawa Sandcrawler. And we get the line the from ironic, Obi-Wan. The most ironic line in the movie. Yeah. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I laugh at that. Yeah. That's why they can't hit anything like ever. Any of the six movies or no, three movies. They're whatever. the worst shots in the galaxy or like the universe. And yet only Imperial stormtroopers. That's what's great about that star- stormtrooper 911 thing. They put in like these little jokes like, I feel like I have great aim until I put these helmets on. <laughs> Stuff like that. What is that? The the Stormtrooper 911 college humor bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's how they open the skit. Is they're like, oh, I, I feel like I have great aim until I put this helmet on. Yeah, yeah. And then they just become terrible. <laughs> on Moss Eisley, we get the classic line, these aren't the droids you're looking for. Yep. Which is parodied so often in so many different things. Oh, yeah. I used it last week. Pop culture, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, um, we were doing an underground railroad activity for school. Yeah. So I had to be the quote-unquote conductor and the students were the slaves so i was trying to pass them through the north into canada safely so one of the stops is on the in this tavern Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i basically you know you know where this is going you know i said i go into the tavern now i'm i know this ahead of time Mm -hmm. this was part of our our plan i sit down at the table and of course you know the students see me sit down they go to sit down as well as soon as one of them pulls out a chair and goes to sit down the tavern keeper yells at them because they're supposed to be slaves you know they're not supposed to be sitting where where white people sit and and that kind of thing so she yells at them and i said you know you can serve their kind here yeah (laughs) Yeah. i I started with that and you know then later you know these these are not the uh the slaves you're looking for that kind of thing so (laughs) how many people were familiar with the references oh they were the kids were laughing it's funny because they would i i tried to keep it deadpan and and straight face Mm -hmm. so like if they got the joke they would start laughing and then they would get yelled at again by the tavern yeah, yeah. person. So I was basically <laughs> setting them up to uh, to get into more trouble. That just also shows how prolific Star Wars movies are. Yeah. I mean, we saw them when we were kids originally and now kids are seeing them for the first time. And they, they still hold up, which yeah. is crazy. Different perspective, though. It's all my students now. They don't know a world without the prequels. Right. So to them, it's just six movies. It's episodes uh, one okay. through six. And it's all kind of together like yeah. they've they don't know anything different we were in this which is going to become this kind of weird space that there was a 16 year gap between return of the jedi and phantom menace mm-hmm. so if you weren't growing up in that 16 year gap there's only going to be six movies or even seven sure that you know about you're not going to know that there was only three at a time that is weird at to one think time. about yeah of course we get the classic cantina music yeah, that everybody knows by heart and can like hum and stuff. Uh, we also meet Chewbacca and Han Solo for the first time yep. in here. Uh, we also see the kind of infamous Greedo Han confrontation now. And there have been so many revisions of this. Like mm-hmm. I watched a Blu-ray set that was released, I think, a few years ago. I think it had a copyright of like 97 yep. on the end of it. So, But it wasn't the original issue because I know when they first reissued it, Han shot first. 
and then they went back and they modified again after people freaked out. Now they both shoot at roughly the same time, and that's the version I have. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that they they timed it so that they shoot basically at the same time. Yeah. I mean, if I remember correctly, in the the special edition one, Greedo shoots like way before Han. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's across the table from him. He shoots has the gun like aimed. I don't even know right. what the heck he was looking at. Right, and Han's was, like head so movement ridiculous. is so subtle; it yeah. doesn't look. It just looks like Greedo's a terrible shot. No, he, yeah, he just. I mean, he should go sign up to be a stormtrooper. Yeah, That's how yeah. bad his shot is. Yeah, now now they completely have it. Like it's almost the same, so that yeah. you can't say somebody shot before and the it's, other. And it's so ridiculous because. They say the reason for it is that they didn't want Han to kill in cold blood. Well, right. that's part of his character development. Absolutely. He's a pirate. He's not a good guy at the beginning. Right. He's a, a scoundrel. He's a he's a bad guy. He's yep. a bad guy that turns into a good guy. So to see him kill a bounty hunter in cold blood right. shouldn't be out of character for him at that point of the movie. Right. When we get to know him. Yeah. So it's important to the overall arc of the character. Exactly. So you can't undo that. Yeah. I agree. Uh, the destruction of Alderaan when the Death Star destroys Alderaan and Luke gets some lightsaber practice using the Force. Yep. Uh, back on the Death Star, the Millennium Falcon is pulled into the Death Star and the crew hides in the smuggling compartments. It looked like when I was watching the scene, it looked like Alec Guinness was a bit stuck in his compartment because he was like, he made a couple attempts to lift himself out and then it looks like he just kind of gave up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, you shoot something several times until you say, you get it right and then right. you don't you know especially shooting on film it's different now with with video and even if you're shooting on film you can have a video tap so you can basically see it as you're shooting it mm -hmm. which they they probably had back then but you don't really take a real good look at your footage to cut it until every every day the a director opens their day watching what are called dailies mm -hmm. so it's all the footage from yesterday's shoot or the previous day's shoot so they open their day with that then they go into what they have scheduled to shoot that day but you know if unless you're going to go back and do pickup shops when you're cutting a movie together sometimes you have to compromise you have x number of shots to choose from right, that right. you ended up shooting the shooting process is basically collecting your footage and then you're going to take what you have and that's what you have to work with for the most part when and you cut the movie the together yeah. so if that was the best take if everything else in the take worked and alec guinness struggling to get out of his, his compartment was sort of the worst thing that mm -hmm. they had to compromise with, then that was probably the shot they went with. Right, right. It is funny, though, just knowing what we know about the Force now, that he couldn't just, like... <laughs> yeah, levitate himself out of there. <laughs> right. Uh, Han's reluctant to do anything until money's brought into the equation, saving Leia, for example. Yep. Like, any time Luke wants Han to do something, he throws a little cash into the equation. He's a capitalist. Yeah, he? yeah. <laughs> Commentary on uh, American culture, right? Yep. Now. Um, Han and Leia are pushing each other's buttons immediately when they find her. Just no time wasted. I don't think they even say until the very, very end. I don't think they say anything to each other. That's not like a dig or yeah. anything like that. Well, clearly she's willing to give of herself and give her life for a good cause. He's mm -hmm. the complete opposite. He oh, thinks yeah. only of himself. So it, it makes perfect sense that they're going to clash as soon as they get into a room together. Yep. And they're both kind of alphas. So. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Leia's the original female sci-fi badass grabbing Luke's gun and blasting at the stormtroopers. Yep. Yeah. We've seen that kind of archetype move forward in sci-fi especially, mm -hmm. but it's all because of Leia. And well, even rumors now that, you know, the main character of this movie is going to be sure. a female character. Yep. The trash compactor scene always grossed me out, especially when I was a kid. 
Yeah, that little thing popping up. Yeah. It's yeah, there's gross. something like just, yeah. The fact that they're in it. like uh, trash and it's so wet too is disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Like, why is it full of water if it's just like, where's all the liquid? Up? Yeah. Huh. And then there's enough liquid for a creature to be living in there. I know. So even when it compacts, somehow that thing doesn't get affected. Yeah, where did it go? And like, the thing is, is that they're on the, they're on a space station, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not like it crawled in there. Right, right. Something else. They must have, someone must have consciously taken that thing and thrown it into the compactor. Unless it's like the alligator that you like flush down the toilet and becomes like a giant mutant (laughs) alligator in the sewers, like that kind of idea. It's so gross. Yeah. I mean, it's, it would probably be fun to get an explanation for that, but at the same time, you just, just keep it the way yeah, yeah, so you don't yeah. need to mess with it. <laughs> uh, during the battle with Obi-Wan and Vader, it's crazy how much lightsaber battles have evolved over time. Looking at this, it's like kids sword fighting by comparison, like going, eh, eh, eh. Well, yeah, in the, um, in like the extra features mm-hmm. on, um, the prequel trilogies, they mention that. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, they basically address that, you know, and they say, Obi-Wan's older, Darth Vader's older. Right. Everyone's rusty with their Jedi arts kind mm-hmm. of thing. So there was a conscious effort to make, the lightsaber battles in the prequels be much faster, much more kinetic, that mm. kind of thing. Because, and they, they acknowledge the fact that the lightsaber battles in the original trilogy are, are much slower in, in comparison. And I think that's just an evolution of film as well, because in, in older movies, you don't get the same kind of fight choreography that you do no. in stuff now. No, like not people at all. do their research more, they hire more qualified people. So mm-hmm. during the rebel base and attack on the Death Star, is it a bit insensitive to name the fat guy Porkins? Yeah, but you know what? Um, watching the Sesame Street Christmas special, which came out a year after Star Wars, yeah, they use the word stupid. They use the word they call Santa fat. It's just the way languages evolve. We become hypersensitive right. to language, and when we say someone's fat, or when you would call somebody fat back in the late seventies, you were basically just stating a matter of fact. Right? It wasn't saying fat to be mean it was i don't just think they're using a fat. nickname now though i think his name is legitimately porkins oh see i always took it as a nickname oh really yeah oh i just assumed it was his name and if it wasn't then it, it fits it's like hey the guy's kind of <laughs> chill you call him porkins hey, yeah he ends up blowing up anyway so it makes more sense to me that it would be a nickname but it also seems like now's not the time <laughs> <laughs> like we're trying to destroy a giant space station <laughs> let's not like knock the guy who's trying to help us by calling him fat so I don't know. It's just funny to me. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that I point this out to the students too. I'm like, you know, this was fine back then and it would never fly now. Right. Oh, absolutely. Uh, a battle like this could have been big and chaotic. So it was a smart decision to kind of focus on a small area and use the trench layout yep. idea. Yeah. The trench was good. And I believe in the original, original version, they were going to have a failed attempt and then a second one. By Luke. like by Luke. two attempts by Luke, yeah, which would have totally been way overdrawn out. Yeah, and I, I assume in the first one he would have had the targeting computer down mm-hmm. and failed or something, and then had to go through. But that would have you didn't need it because you already no. had a pilot miss. Exactly, there was a pilot who is he's a trained pilot. Mm-hmm. He's using the targeting computer, so it kind of shows the difference that the force makes. So he's he has the force with him, even though he's not completely adept at using it. He turns off the targeting computer. And kind of uses his instinct mm-hmm. and just goes with that. And he's successful. Whereas the other guy, that's why you didn't need Luke to do it twice. You saw the other guy miss. So when it's Luke's turn, it's okay to just have him hit it. Yeah. And of course, Han comes back and makes the save at the last minute with the Falcon getting the backlit yep. hero shot, which normally goes to people. But in this case, a ship is getting a hero shot. Yep. 
And the way the torpedoes enter the port always bugged me a little. It's not a straight shot. Yeah, I know. It's like they curve in. Yeah, it's kind of a... I'm actually surprised that's something that he changed so many other things with the special editions that he Why can make that? that a little more. Yeah. It seems like such an awkward kind of... Yeah, I've always wondered that too. Yeah. They kind of jump into the hole, but they're not aimed directly at the hole. Mm-hmm. And then uh, moving forward, I mean, you get the explosion, which has been changed in the special edition and everything yeah. too. And then uh, we get the whole award ceremony at the end, which is the first time you see Leia's non-buns, like a different hairstyle. Yeah. And 3PO is all shiny and R2's yeah. cleaned up. and Yeah, Han Han coming back, or that's like the first step in his character development right yeah. there, in his change over to not being a, a scoundrel and a pirate. Right, right. It's his coming back. He, he actually thought of somebody else and, and came back at the right time to, to help them out. Yeah, so I mean, even within this movie, he has an arc. But like we said earlier, having him shoot first mm-hmm. establishes one character and then gives us a place to build for the end of the movie and it makes it that much more surprising at the end when he comes in yeah absolutely so that's pretty much it then uh thanks for doing the show no problem random movie club is a production of the geek generation you can get every episode along with everything else we do over at thegeekgeneration.com while you're there be sure to check out our flagship podcast the geek generation available both on the site and on itunes as always, thanks to Michael McLeod of Wolfstein Music for our theme song. A link to their site can also be found on our site. Thanks for listening, and make sure you join us next time when we'll discuss Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. See you then.